0: In the following ceremony at Zen Mountain Monastery, Abbot Shugen Roshi officiates the novice monastic ordination of Julia Jiriu Krupa. Shugen Roshi also talks about the stages and aspects of the monastic path. Thank you for listening. So, good morning. Um, Very early in our history here, Dada Roshi it was clear to him that he wanted to establish a monastic path, a monastery. And that he wanted the two paths of monastic and lay to both have full integrity, to be complete paths within themselves. And part of the way he wanted to to do that was to make them also distinct, that they were not the same paths. In, in many centers around the country, being ordained usually makes one a priest. And priests, very often in, in most centers, uh, may live at home and have families and work and and be independent in that sense and be living a religious life. Dottor Roshi wanted it to be more of a distinction that mon- monastics would take vows of a monastic, live within the monastery, commit their lives to this, and, and renounce those, those things. And so he began to develop that. Um, when I first came here in the early 80s, there were no ordained monastics yet. Um, Yotai and Kyoto were here, they were novices, and there was a postulant, And so it was really just forming, just beginning. So over the years, we've had the fortunate opportunity to develop that further, as monastics continued to come. And today is a continuing of that. And so it is both very significant for our Sangha, as monastics form one aspect, one side of the core Sangha, and help to make this possible. And at the same time, it's very much a living link with the history of Buddhism going all the way back to the Buddha, since much of the practice basis for the, much of the history of Buddhism has been within the monasteries. That's really changed in its coming to the West where lay students are much greater in number and equal in sincerity, I would say. So for us this begins in the Sangha with entering as a student, becoming a resident, beginning to train in residency, receiving the Bodhisattva, which uh, Jiryu did in 2010, she became a student, and then receiving the Bodhisattva precepts, which she will do again today as part of the ordination. And she received Jikai in 2019, and then requesting to begin the path of the monastic by becoming a postulant, which she has been since 2021. The postulant takes no vows, so they're still a lay person, but they change the robe, they're wearing a black robe, so they begin to Experience themselves and be experienced by the others within the Sangha as a monastic, to be taken in within the sort of embraced within the monastic community and do the things that the monastics do amongst themselves. So they begin to form that relationship with their monastic family and enter more consciously into this period of discernment, which is extremely important to over time. And by living the life that they are considering making a lifetime commitment to, they're discerning whether that's actually the life for them, whether that's really what they want to do. Not from the outside, but from by actually living it day to day, through the ups and downs, through the easy times and the hard times, through times of great confidence, times of great doubt, so that they're experiencing the, the reality of what they're contemplating, giving their life to. Today's ordination is novitiate, a novice ordination. This is part of the history, going back. And so today, Jiryu will take monastic vows provisionally, in the sense that she will take these vows to practice them during this period of her novitiate training as a step further in, into the monastic life. And then that period of discernment will be resolved either by her deciding to be fully ordained, when she'll take those vows as life vows, or she will decide that the lay path is really where she wants to continue her practice, and she would take off her robes and return. So my, my sense of this is that either way, the process has been successful. That it has helped the person to discern what they really want to do with their life. So whatever direction they take, they take that with with a much greater degree of confidence and clarity, I hope, and can embrace whatever that path is that they've chosen wholeheartedly. So it's a wonderful process, I think. Not always easy, but important. Why is it important to be so careful and discerning? Dada spoke of a spiritual imperative, a calling. And in the Catholic tradition, monasticism, the calling is to God, from God. In our tradition, it's a question. If a person feels called to this life, who are they being called by? What are they being called to? That spiritual imperative is a living thing, but you can't touch it, you can't measure it, you can't point to it, but it is a driving force. And for one who has that, who experiences that, as Evelyn Underhill in her book on mysticism says, it is the deep yearning to find a way out or a way back or a way in, I would say, to some desirable state in which one alone can satisfy a hunger for real liberation. This journey, this life, becomes the whole purpose of one's life, to freely relinquish one's ordinary place in the world in order to discover reality. Now, lay students do that in their way, in, their, in your way. <laughs> in your homes, in your relationships and work, and so on. That is the imperative, that's the great work of the lay student. For the monastic, they do that within this life. And so in in this life, it is a profoundly contemplative life, a meditative life, a life of deep examination. It's also a life of serving, of service, to one's teacher, to the monastics, to the sangha, to everyone to bow and serve, to make oneself available, to give one's life to others. And this comes from a deep place within ourselves, the heart of being, as Dada used to often speak of it. And for one who has that calling, it is one of the greatest gifts in the world to be able to meet that imperative and to be able to satisfy it to have a way to actually respond to that life, that calling in this life. And it can be very painful to not be able to do that. So in that way, I feel like the monasteries offers a great service in allowing those admittedly few, and it will always be few, who feel so compelled that they want to live their life in this way, and that that can be met. Dogen said in his fascicle on leaving the household, the Bodhisattva may think this way. Today I will abandon my country, my position, my household. I will aspire to attain unsurpassable complete enlightenment. I will help innumerable sentient beings to become free from dust and defilement and give rise to a pure Dharma Eye. I. I will also help innumerable sentient beings to keep transforming delusion and attain unsurpassable complete enlightenment without remitting. So, with that in mind, we will begin. So Jiryu is in the Buddha Hall, and she will be called in. And first she will do a series of bows. And these are very important. She's in this, she's recognizing those streams of life that have allowed her to be here today. So first she will do bows to the Buddha, our original teacher, who set this wheel in motion over 2,500 years ago. And then she will make bows to her parents, without whom she would not have this life, and she will do that into the direction of wherever her parents are, as they're not here today. And then the third set of bows is to her ordination teacher, which today is myself. And again, recognizing these three streams of the stream of the Buddha Dharma, her life stream, her ancestral stream, her genetic stream, and then that stream which is allowing her to be a a monastic in this life today. And then while she's doing her vows to her parents, who are here with us at home online, the altar will be closed, um, and the, a new altar established here. So this is a happy day for parents too. We hope. <laughs> At least they get bowed to. Good morning. So I asked the question a few moments ago, why all of this discernment? Why is it so important? In our tradition and in our sangha, to live the life of monastic in the Buddha way is to study and realize and actualize the dissolutions, the dissolving of our false boundaries and views, our entanglements, all that divides us, that holds us back and hampers us, And it is to use every activity and relationship and action, every commitment, every challenge, to do just that, to put it all in service to your Buddha nature, to to Prajnaparamita, to great peace, and to really have confidence that in doing that, you are doing that for yourself. And what keeps that from being selfish, or self-binding, is the vow of service. That you're doing that for yourself within a life of intimate contact with people all the time, friends and strangers, practitioners, and that you're living these vows that you're preparing to take. You know, we, is the more we let go of the self, the more we have the courage and just natural capacity to experience, feel the suffering of the world. And that's a great motivator to practice and to live these vows. But we feel, the Buddha said, that we feel most keenly that suffering within ourselves, because it's happening within our body. It's felt directly. It's not... Um, When we feel somebody else's pain, we're not feeling their pain. And so that is a central part of this, is that that most powerful force that raises bodhicitta is held together with the giving to others, yourself to others, and that both inspire and motivate and lay the path out before you every day. It is a life that is stepping out of a normal life, relinquishing the normal things that people have and gives them measures of happiness and fulfillment in their life, and to letting, to live simply and intentionally by your vows, to let fall away rather than build things up, to be humble rather than exceptional, to have faith in the goodness of people, even when they make it hard to let go rather than accumulate, to open the heart, particularly when it'd be easy to close it off, and to see the deep, life-giving, wisdom-awakening potential within your own mind, your silence, your stillness, your inquiry. So we'll begin with the invocation of the Three Treasures to invoke our ancestors who are delighting in this ordination. Everyone please go show. Be one with the Buddha in the Ten Directions. Be one with the Dharma in the Ten Directions. Be one with the Sangha in the Ten Directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Joyadashi. Be one with Taiso Josadaishi. Be one with the successive great ancestors, be one with the Buddha in the Ten Directions. Be one with the Dharma in the Ten Directions. Be one with the Sang in the Ten Directions. Be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha. Be one with the great compassionate Avalokiteshvara Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Samantabhadra Bodhisattva. Be one with the great wise Manjushri Bodhisattva. Be one with Koso Joyodashi. Be one with Taiso Joyodashi. Be one with the great successive ancestor be one with the Buddha in the Ten Directions, be one with the Dharma in the Ten Directions, be one with the Sangha in the Ten Directions, be one with our original teacher, Shakyamuni Buddha, be one with the great compassionate, Avalokitesvara, Bodhisattva, be one with the great wise, Asmata Bhadra Bodhisattva be one with the great wise Manjushri Shri Bodhisattva be one with Koso daishi, be one with Taiso Josa daishi, be one with the successive great ancestors. Now, as you all know, part of the tradition for the monastic, beginning with the Buddha is the shaving of one's head to let go of that particular aspect of our appearance, our identity, how we see ourselves, how others see us. And so today in this novitiate ceremony, I will ask as an expression of your intention to resolve the the path of your life's journey, may I remove a lock of your hair. This is planted at the base of a tree so that we can see what grows from it. And next, as this is both a continuation of your life's path and also something new very much beginning of something new, we will do the Goth of Atonement, to acknowledge all of the actions that you and each of us have done in our lives that have not been helpful, in fact, come out of selfishness and greed and anger or confusion, and to take responsibility for that, to recognize the conditions, causes, our thoughts, words, and actions that gave rise to that, and to take responsibility so that we free ourselves to continue more lightly, more awake, more compassionately. So we'll do this all together and chant in response. Everyone's invited to to do this gatha together. Everyone please, gosh out. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. my body, mouth, and thought. Oh, I body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. Now I atone for it all. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. All evil
1: karma ever
0: committed by me since of old. On oh, account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. Born of, my body, mouth, and thought. Born of my body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. Now I atone for it all. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. All evil karma ever committed by me since of old. All of all on account of my beginningless greed, anger, and ignorance. My body, mouth, and thought. one of my body, mouth, and thought. Now I atone for it all. Now I atone for it all. Next is Shaswi, which here is expressing the truth of the Buddha mind which we all possess and which is transmitted in every generation. take refuge in the Three Treasures, which is the uh, first part of, the, of taking precepts. So you have received the bodhisattva precepts. And so I won't comment a lot on those today because you have taken them already, are living them, so that I can leave time for the monastic vows. But we will begin by the taking refuge. And I'll do this once alone, and the second time everyone's invited to respond, take refuge together and then I'll finish one last time alone. <clears throat> Everyone, please, got show. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I I take take refuge refuge in the Buddha. Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I I take take refuge in in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. Take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably honored one. I take refuge in the Buddha the incomparably honored one I take refuge in the Dharma honored one I take refuge in the Dharma honorable for its purity I take refuge in the Sangha honorable for its harmony I I. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha. I take refuge in the Dharma. I take refuge in the Sangha. I take refuge in the Buddha, the incomparably Honored One. I take refuge in the Dharma, honorable for its purity. I take refuge in the Sangha, honorable for its harmony. I have taken refuge in the Buddha. I have taken refuge in the Dharma. I have taken refuge in the Sangha." So next are the three pure precepts, which really form the basis of our lives as practitioners of the dharma, life of a monastic. If we really live these three pure precepts, we will be living all of the teachings, practicing fulfilling all of the teachings. We will be bringing forth wisdom and compassion. The first of the pure precepts is to not create evil, to not give rise to all that would be harmful, and injurious to ourselves, to others, to the earth. This is the abiding place of all Buddhas. It's the very source of all Buddhas. Will you maintain this? I vow to not create evil. I vow to not create evil. The second pure precept is to practice good, to bring forth these precepts, your own virtuous qualities, to live your vows, just to do that in all directions, in all ways, at all times, to the best of your ability. This is the dharma of samyak-sambodhi in the way of all beings, Dogen says. Practice good. Will you maintain this? I to Practice good. To actualize good for others, the third pure precept. This is to ensure that our actions, our thoughts, our words are having a positive effect on others, are being of benefit, are helping the world in whatever way we can. This is to transcend the profane and beyond the holy, to liberate oneself and others. Actualize good for others. Will you maintain this? I vow to actualize good for others. The grave precepts point to the particular ways that human beings in all places and times have not lived these pure precepts. What are the ways in which you create harm? What are the ways in which our greed, anger, delusion is manifest? What are the ways in which we create binding karma for ourselves and others, create suffering? And so these precepts point to those states of mind and action and thought, and also offer the um, medicine. How do we take that same energy and liberate it from our attachments and false views, the self-clinging, and bring forth all of the positive aspects that we're capable of. So the first great precept is to affirm life, to not kill, to be in the world in such a way that is not harming life, not taking life, but allowing life to live and prosper and fulfill itself. Life is non-killing, Dogen said. The seed of Buddha grows continuously. So maintain this wisdom life and do not kill life. Affirm life and do not kill. We maintain this. I vow to affirm my I will not kill The second grave precept is to be giving, to not steal. To live a life that is basically generous. Right? Very simple. Just generosity, magnanimity. A largeness of heart and a desire to give. The first of the paramitas. That action which is understood in every language and every time, It's one of the simplest ways in which we can um, offer something. So this precept points to how the sort of converse of that, when we want to take something that doesn't belong to us, to be giving and not steal. The mind and externals are just thus. The gate of liberation is open. That's the heart and mind that we're just developing. Be giving, do not steal. Will you maintain this? I vow to be giving, I will not steal. These precepts need to be understood both literally and then in terms of how to actually be compassionate, sometimes we have to act in ways that are selfless and may appear to go against the literal understanding of the precepts. To honor the body and not misuse sexuality. To use those forces of sexuality that exist within all of us, within all living things, in such a way that is, again, healing, nourishing, developing, encouraging trust and faith. The three wheels of body, mouth, and mind, greed, anger, delusion, are pure and clean. Nothing is desired. Go the same way as the Buddha. Honor the body, do not misuse sexuality. Will you maintain this? I vow to honor the body. I will not misuse sexuality. To manifest truth and not lie. To live a life that is basically truthful, that is trying to be upright and straightforward, simple, non deceptive. It sounds easier than it is. The Dharma wheel unceasingly turns, and there's neither excess nor incompleteness. Sweet dew permeates the universe. Gain the essence, and realize the truth. Living this precept is really living in accord, not just with the Dharma and ourselves, but with everything. Manifest truth and do not lie. Will you maintain this? I vow to manifest truth and will not lie to proceed clearly, and not cloud the mind. Because the whole of the Buddha path is celebrating the natural clarity of mind. Every teaching, every practice, whatever its appearance is really arising from, and directly taking us into this natural clarity. The mind is originally pure and clear, Buddha mind. Do not let it become cloudy, do not be defiled. Whenever we act in a way that is not helping ourselves and others, the mind is not clear. To proceed clearly, do not cloud the mind. We maintain this. I vow to proceed clearly, but will not cloud the mind. And an essential part of each of these precepts is how we practice them when we are in the midst of that very state. When the mind is not cloudy, is cloudy, rather. How do we practice that precept? When we are not being fully truthful, how do we practice the precept on truthfulness? To see the perfection and not speak of others' errors and faults. We live in a world in which, oftentimes by responsibility and role, we have to see others, see what needs to be corrected, what needs to be strengthened, what needs to be... where we or others need to be held accountable. But this precept is saying, take no delight in that. In other words, don't do that to assuage our own insecurity, our own doubts, but actually do it only because it will help. And do it for that reason alone. To not speak of others' errors and faults, but rather see the perfection. I vow to not speak of others' errors and faults. I vow to see the perfection. Some of these precepts, the karma that we create Becomes so burdensome, sometimes because one action is so significant and ripples on forever. And others, because the, one action may be very light, but we commit that action over and over and over again, and in that way it builds up strength. To realize self and other is one, to not elevate the self and blame others. So in a similar but different way, these are all pointing to right speech how we use our language, which originates in our mind, as thoughts. And here, to realize we are the same, we have the same nature. And so, to not elevate ourselves, right? And so, Trungpa Rinpoche spoke about spiritual materialism. So, to think that in being a, a monastic, that in some way that makes you or I different or better, superior, is to undermine and actually distort destroy a bit that very life, that very possibility, of the truth of that. And so to not elevate the self and blame others. Dogen says, Buddhas and ancestors realize the absolute emptiness and the whole earth. When the great body is manifested, there's nothing outside or inside. When the Dharma body is man- manifested, there's no place to stand. Realize self and others, one. Do not elevate the self and blame others. Will you maintain this? I vow to realize self and others one. I will not blame others. And elevate yourself. I vow to not elevate myself or blame others. They usually go together. (laughs) To give generously and not being withholding, not be withholding. So to steal is to take what doesn't belong to us. And the medicine is to be generous. Here, to take or to not give what we have to be withholding, to not be generous, to not offer something, no matter how simple that might help someone. That's what this precept is encouraging us to relinquish. One phrase, one verse, ten thousand forms, one hundred grasses, one dharma, one realization, all Buddhas, all ancestors. There has never been anything to withhold, Token said. To give generously, not be withholding. Will you maintain this? I vow to give generously. I will not be withholding. The ninth great precept is to actualize harmony, to not be angry. So Buddhism recognizes how powerful anger can be. It can arise like a flash of lightning and take over before we even know it. It It can burn down a house, burn down a village, change our lives or someone's life forever. And so, but it's also just energy. It's just energy that's being applied in a particular way. And so rather than applying it towards creating anger, we apply it towards realizing harmony, right? dissolving those walls. It is not regressing. It is not advancing. It is not real. It is not unreal. Right? It has an ultimate nature, but we should never deny it or avoid it. There's an illuminated cloud ocean, there's an ornamented cloud ocean. It appears in both of these forms. Actualize harmony, do not be angry. Will you maintain this? I vow to actualize harmony, I will not be angry. I mean, anywhere we look, we have examples of what happens when we deny and suppress anger, but also when we indulge it. So that's where the middle way is a revolution. The 10th of the Great Precepts is to experience the intimacy of things, to not defile the Three Treasures. To take refuge in the Three Treasures, to experience them as your own body and mind, your lifeblood, to rely on them wholeheartedly, to respect them, in a sense to protect them, and to realize this both inwardly and outwardly, all the ways the Three Treasures manifest. And so, to not defile the three treasures is to take care of your own house and the house of all ascension beings. Experience the intimacy of things to not defile the three treasures. Will you maintain this? I to experience the intimacy of things and will not defile the three treasures. So traditionally, this is this constitutes the the. Um, Relax a minute. uh, Sort of the essence of the monastic ordination is the Bodhisattva precepts. Dr. wanted to bring in, include vows specific to the monastic that, that help to really bring our attention to what are those things, what are those vows, those aspects of this life that we need to keep uppermost in our mind, that we need to be practicing every day, aspiring to embody. Like if we were to describe, what is the monastic life, right? What are the, as the essential aspects of it? How would we, how, what, what would that be as guiding principles, right? Um, the, and in these vows, when we begin to move away from them, or, or when we begin to question, right? The vows help us to, to return to what, is the, the, what are the core principles, and so the first of the monastic vows is the vow of simplicity. And this is really to celebrate a life of simplicity without adornment, without clutter, without distraction, to strive to live close to the essentials, to the basic principles, the natural elements that are essential. What are those things that are essential? With no hindrance in the mind to freely and joyfully relinquish accumulating wealth, possessions, property, so that all of that energy can be directly applied to your own path, your awakening, to serving. It's the practice of having few desires, of knowing how to be satisfied, that if you are were to receive wealth, an inheritance for instance, you would give that away that that's the vow that we make, that we all live, the monastics all live within a common bond, a common agreement together. We, we actually have a, a um, jar that if we have any excess cash from an honorarium or something like that, or a gift that a friend or parent has given us that we feel like is more than we need, the monastics put it into this little kitty, and then they can draw on that if they need a little extra money to go on a vacation or something. And that was decided by the monastics to put yourself freely and intentionally within an interdependent relationship. When I was, before I was ordained, my father said, but you won't have any of your own money. You'll be reliant on the Sangha. And I said, yeah, that's the point. Yeah. And he said, okay, I don't really get it, but <laughs> it was hard for him to see how that dependency was a strength was a vital part of the life so that we can then be free to offer ourselves and others to the Sangha. To live straightforwardly and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties, and frugal in our ways. To live straightforwardly, straightforwardly in your mind, in your thoughts, in your words and actions, and to be an example to ourselves, and to anyone who may be watching or seeing. And I think of it as a guardian of an ancient mystic path of silence and stillness and simplicity within a culture that does not have interest or patience for that. To find joy and satisfaction in the miraculous activities of a contemplative life moving to the pulse of the seasons, the fluctuations moving through in your own body in the life of the sangha. The monastic lives the vow of simplicity. Will you maintain this? A vow to develop the vow of simplicity. Will you develop this? Next is the vow of stability. A spiritual life is an intentional life. It's a committed life. It's a disciplined life in all of the best meanings of that word. There's a practical, practicing stability within your vows, your thoughts, your emotions, right? Which becomes very relevant when we are feeling our own lack of stability. Within the ongoing fluctuations and change internally, the impermanence of all things, sometimes the monastic council will ask a petitioning student, what do you think you're saying yes to? because oftentimes we think it's this life as it is now. But we don't know what this life means. We don't know what's ahead for us as a Sangha. Dharo used to say, if we lose the monastery, the monastics and anybody else who's interested, we'll just go and find another place. So what are we saying yes to? To live more and more within the ground of your being knowing what your life is about, what you want it to be about. And so in that way is a careful part of your formation and discernment because there are fluctuations, there are moments of instability. And that's a particularly important time to both to practice this vow, but also to let it bring an inquiry. Is this what you want? And so where do you find your satisfaction and fulfillment in your work, in your relationships, in your internal life, stability of mind and body, emotion, thought, intention, which doesn't mean it's a flat line. It doesn't mean it's fixed because nothing is fixed. It's within those movements, practicing the vow of stability. And that when your resolve or your equilibrium wavers, is hard to find, you take refuge. You have a path, you have practices, you have teachings that are yours. You have vows that you have taken that are yours, that you can return to, that you can find what you need. That's the vow of stability. To examine what needs to be examined, to use those challenges to make yourself stronger and softer. The monastic lives the vow of stability. Will you develop this? I vow to develop the vow of stability. That vow also Includes all the basic significant life decisions a person is making, of relationship and family and so on, so that that if a monastic enters as as a solitary monastic or in a relationship, that the commitment is to to live that. That if we are in a relationship as a monastic, that we will not have children, right? Because then the, ch- the child would have our need our full attention, so we would take off our robes, and leave. so it's really about resolving. I remember a friend of mine said, aren't you going to miss traveling? And I expected as a monastic to not actually go on any trips, you know, other than simple vacations. And I said, somehow I think I'm going to be traveling a lot. (laughs) Third is the vow of service. The deepest happiness comes from giving from living a life of generosity to making our lives larger than ourselves or to realizing ourselves as larger through service, through giving, through offering our life. And so to cease from harm and bring forth, forth all that is good in service. It's so easy to be drawn in selflessness. We sort of naturally you know, can easily put ourselves first. And so it's really as we relinquish the grasping of the self, the clinging to the self, that we're able to be much more available for others at all times and all ways. That's our nature, the Buddha realized. And to let our life really be an offering of service to bow and serve, freed from the confinement of self-grasping. And it's really to live that every day. Your teachers, the monastics, the sangha, these buildings, the earth, Through responsibilities that you're given, and to really wonder at that beautiful dynamic between serving, realizing your own desire for fulfillment, to liberate your own body and mind, and to simultaneously and equally want to do that for others, and to put those together in one unified tapestry, not in opposition, to offer yourself to others in easy times, and difficult times, those you find that you love and those that you don't, and to really examine that to all creatures. To live in service is really just that. It's just to live in service, to bow and serve generously without any thought of recognition or reward, Giving is really just giving. The monastic lives the vow of service. Will you develop this during this time? I vow to develop the vow of service. Okay. And to bear in mind with all of these vows that they're practicing vows. Right? So nobody ever enters into these fully. Right? We enter them we enter into them as we enter into them. Sometimes they're very strong and present. sometimes they're not, sometimes they come forward effortlessly, sometimes they don't. Sometimes we trust them, sometimes we're doubting. That's what makes practice so powerful. All of that is included. Next is the vow of selflessness, which is really the lifeblood of the Buddha Dharma. It's the heart of being itself. It's Prajnaparamita it's karuna, compassion, it's skillful means, all arising from this basic truth of our nature. We can call it Buddha nature. We can call it emptiness. We can call it jiryu. And to realize and actualize, I am not this, this is not me, this is not mine, as the Buddha said, in such a way that frees us that those what appear to be negations are actual, utter affirmations, but without boundary, without restriction, without condition, without knowing. And to realize that, to practice that again and again, that as this body and mind has no place of abiding, no dwelling place, can't be defined, that we can manifest in a multitude of ways. Because we are not any one thing, we can manifest in a multitude of ways. When suffering appears, when we are suffering, the sense of a self is present. Study it. When we teeter within hesitation or blaming or doubt, the self is present. Study it. Selflessness is a direct experience. It's an everyday practice. We can practice it. It's our nature. And it is not in conflict with the sense of self that we all have. It is not in conflict. We put it into conflict. But that's a dream, a fantasy that we're creating. It is not in conflict. When we really, the more we understand that, the less we are in conflict. (laughs) Which I think we all agree is a good thing. It feels good. Ours is a practice tradition to study the practice and realize this basic liberating truth. The monastic lives a vow of selflessness. Will you develop this? I vow to develop the vow of selflessness. And the last of the monastic vows is the vow to live the Buddha's way. These monastic vows are all inclusive. They all contain each other. And so in this vow to live the Buddha's way includes simplicity and stability and service, selflessness. The Buddha said this is a long path, a good long path. And to live to the best of your ability in the spirit and the manner of the Buddha. We live in a different time, different culture, in so many ways, significantly. Who could have imagined 2,500 years ago? the challenges, the forces that we live within, the world that we are in. But to the best of our ability to follow the example of the Buddha, this incredible student, seeker, enlightened teacher, and human being. And to find inspiration in that example, in all of those examples of earnestness, of courage, of perseverance, of kindness, generosity selflessness. And so the vow of the monastic is to have great respect and reverence for the wisdom tradition of Buddha Dharma, to uphold and maintain it, and at the same time to be able to change and shift as is needed. That ceaseless dynamic between tradition and change. And so to live and follow the ways of the ancestors, but not just to do what was done yesterday because it was done yesterday, but to do it today because it is today. The monastic lives the vow of the Buddha's way. Will you develop this? I vow to develop the vow of living the Buddha's way. These 16 precepts, the three treasures, the three pure precepts, and the ten great precepts were handed down by the Buddha to my teacher, to me, now I hand them to you. These five monastic vows were given to me by Dada Roshi, and now I give them to you. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you maintain them well? I will. Will you truly maintain them well? I will. Whatever we please, got show. When sentient beings receive the Sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the Great Enlightenment, truly they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddhas, which is none other than the Great Enlightenment, truly they are the children of the Buddha. When sentient beings receive the sila, they enter the realm of the Buddha, which is none other than the great enlightenment. Truly, they are the children of the Buddha. So now we will, um, Jiri will be receiving a number of things that are part of her novice practice. his robe. So she's exchanging her pasan's robe, which is really a black student's robe, with a chroma, which is the traditional robe that has come down to us through our lineage, and which is a living thing all of its own. When I was at AHAG a few years ago doing, so we say the shikun that I saw in the young monks, the ends hung almost to the floor. And I asked one of the elders about that, and he said, Oh, the young monks like that. <laughs> and I thought, you can't keep fashion out. You know? <laughs> took the Bodhisattva precept, she sewed this raksu and received the Dharma name Jiryu, which, so she's receiving it now as a monastic. Kichmyaku, this of the ancestors. Mountains and Rivers Order, Zen Mountain Monastery. And this is to certify that Julia Krupa having fulfilled the novitiate training requirements of Zen Mountain Monastery and the Mountains and Rivers Order, has on this twentieth day of August, twenty twenty three, received the sixteen precepts of the Buddha way, the Novitiate Vows, the Lineage Chart, Raksu, and the monastic rope. And now Jiri will walk through the zendo in a standing bow, walking bow, to be acknowledged and welcomed into the monastic community by all of us. A sangha is a living thing. It's not just a group of people gathering in the same place. It's not a building. And every person that comes here, whether it's just for a morning, whether it's for a retreat, whether it's for residency, whether it's for a lifetime, in their own way during that time creates what we call Sangha. And so in that way, everyone has a role, a responsibility, and at the same time, hopefully, is receiving something and is giving a part of their self, of themselves, to all of us. And when people step in with various kinds of commitments, they do that to that greater degree through that commitment. And I really hope that we understand that, right? That a song, in a way, is very strong and resilient and powerful, and, well, it's very fragile right? It's constantly changing. It's affected by people. It's affected by circumstances. It's easy to think about how we're here and just doing our practice and experiencing whatever we're experiencing, but we may not be aware of how the ways in which we have impact. I'll just say a few brief words in closing. I am so grateful to Dada Roshi for the vision that he had, that we are living, and this real appreciation for this beautiful interplay between the monastic and lay, which originates with the Buddha, and how because of this, that it requires a monastic body to be able to do this, so that anyone and everyone who wants to come here and practice can do so. And so the monastics are dependent on the lay sangha, as the lay sangha is dependent on the monastics. We practice together, we live together, we awaken together, we struggle together. And in that way, we enter into this beautiful web of mutual support and compassion and development and inspiration, And I think of it as responding every day to the question Can human beings actually live together? (laughs) That I imagine every living creature other than humans are asking every day Can you guys please live together? (laughs) We would most appreciate that. And so we put that to the test every day, make it real. If you trust this dharma deeply, live your name, Jiryu, compassionate dragon, gentle dragon, the fierceness, the strength, the stability, the power of the dragon. And the gentleness, the softness, the pliancy, both of those wonderful, wonderful qualities working together. If you trust this dharma, practice wholeheartedly, examine and live these vows, you will fulfill, jirio. How? You will show us that. You will show yourself. But you will. Master Dogen said, to turn cartwheels on the day of leaving the household is to turn the wondrous Dharma wheel. This leaving the household makes innumerable sentient beings unremitting in unsurpassable enlightenment. So I would say, indeed, today is a day for turning cartwheels. May your life go well. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as cushions, incense, liturgical instruments, dharma books, and more, visit monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.